Welcome into a very special edition of a Loyola postgame live. I'm Nick Schultz. Great to be with you, especially after that big win over Drake by the Loyola Ramblers. Excited to welcome in my pal Kevin Sweeney. You can follow him on Twitter at CBB underscore central. He's also doing great work for Sports Illustrated, writing about the Loyola Ramblers again. And he and I go back. We first met during that final four year and uh, what, quite the evolution from the from the Ramblers here, Kevin. What do you think? It, it's unbelievable. I, I tweeted about it the other day, but, you know, we the first game, first time we met, we were at, well, I think it was Loyola Samford, you know, probably like November 20th of 2017. There was like 800 people at, at Gentile Arena. It was just exactly. us in the media room. You know, Porter was like begging for any attention the program could get. And you're like, okay, this, this team's got something. They could be pretty good. And I mean, I, I thought I thought they had made it when it was like mid-February against Missouri State, and there's like local Chicago media there. You're like, wow, look, we got some TV cameras. Look, look at the Ramblers. Who would have thought? I mean, ho ho holy cow, what what a program growth this has been, and you know, it's fun to fun to reminisce and, and fun to look ahead because this is a very very legit uh, loyal team, and they proved it today. You know, I feel like we both kind of written about it lately. I feel like everybody dropped this story on the yeah. same day, including you and me about how this year's team compares to the final four team. And I think we're in agreement on paper. It looks like they're better than the 2018 team. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It was, it was funny. I mean, I think everybody, once, once they jumped to like top 15 and all the metrics, I think everyone like told their editors at like the big publications, like, Hey, can we write one before the Drake series? And everyone got told yes. And so I was glad I could get mine out earlier rather than later. I think I beat Brian Hamilton by about like two days. So and we'll take what we can get. But yeah, you're right. Everybody wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to compare it. You know, Porter seemed tired of it when I asked him about it. But it was funny. I mean, I asked, you know, I, I wasn't planning on asking the players directly, like, who do you think was better? I didn't ask Porter this either. But Custer brought it up when we were chatting. Like, oh, yeah, we were in a staff meeting and we were joking about it. So I was like, all right, I got to ask, who do you like? And, and when he said, okay, this team's down more upside, I was like, holy cow, like, would these guys actually believe it? Williamson was even more, you know, convinced that this was the team's better and it's hard to argue when you watch them and like they don't have the statement win in the regular season like that florida win was a couple of years ago but man just they're deeper they're better on defense they're forcing more turnovers they're better on the glass i think they're as good if not better shooting the ball like it's hard to argue it at this point and that is such a statement about how how far this program has come Absolutely. Send us those comments, too. We'll be getting comments on here from Periscope. Again, final score today, number 22, Loyola Chicago, which has a great ring to it, 81, Drake 54. We'll get to a comment in a second. I do want to get your thoughts on Ahir Ugwak because when he came in his first year after sitting out because he sat out the year they made the Final Four, I expected what we have now, and the fact that we're finally getting it is very reassuring, especially for this team. What can you say about Ahir's growth over the last three years? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it. I, I tweeted something similar. Like, he he was a train wreck on offense his his first year at Loyola, and and he was a train wreck in New Mexico offensively. And like, I think they, I think the coaching staff knew they were getting a project, but you know, it's a credit to him that he's been willing to buy in and grow and buy into a role that was not you know offensive centric for for two years. It was like, I'm gonna gr I'm gonna grind. I'm going to defend your best player. I'm going to rebound. And if I, you know, if I do something on offense, it's a plus. And this season, he's just been so much more consistent on that end of the floor. I think the other thing that's been big is, you know, he's taking care of the ball a little bit better. You know, I think that was something that had been an issue, particularly the last two years where, 
you know, he, he, he was actively causing you problems on the offensive end. You can kind of hide someone who's not doing anything good for you, but there was times where he was in that negative and, you know, for, for him to, you know, now be making jump shots and just having so much better feel for the game, I think is the biggest thing. You know, he just looks comfortable. He knows where he needs to be. It helps to have a, a guy like Crutwig passing him the ball because, you know, I think him and Tate Hall in particular really benefit from the cutting and, and the ability to, to get downhill. And it's not, it's not like Ugoak's reinventing the wheel with what he's doing offensively, but, you know, he just gives him another option. And you know, this, this, this team has so many different guys who can hurt you and, you know, when, when Uguak can randomly come out and give you, I don't know, what was it, 18, 20 points today, you have 20 points they lead, to lead the team. Like, you, you can't beat them if, if Uguak's going to be the guy who beats you. So it's an impressive story and, 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 a, and a great great work of player development by Loyal staff. Yeah, I hear Uguak today, 20 points to lead the way. That was a game high. We do also have to talk about Cameron Krutwig, 10 points, 10 boards. I'm just going to ask you, player of the year? Yeah, he's got to be. I mean, he's the best player on what is clearly at this point now the best team. I love Roman Penn. I think he's awesome. You know, I I, I fell in love with that kid before he even played a college basketball game because I was a Sienna guy, and you know he came in and lived up to our expectations. Sienna spent a year there. Unfortunately, it didn't work out with the coaching change. And you know, he's his growth has been fun. But like Crowick's Crowick, he's the best player in the league. He's the best player on the best team in the league. It's got to be him. I just want to go on the record and say the headline I wrote in 2019 when I said Cameron Crutwig will win player of the year, I never put the year. So I'm just going to say I predicted that two years ago. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's get to some comments here. Rank W, woohoo from Blurred Vision. What a victory. Roll blurs from my guy Reese Johnson, the weatherman. Oh, my, that was a satisfying win from the bishop himself, Jonah Blatt. Here's one from Tony Segetti I want to talk about. Lucas Williamson won defensive player of the year today. I've been saying that all year. And I think we saw it today. Did we see him secure the Defensive Player of the Year trophy today, Kevin? I'll be honest. I'm not quite as familiar with the contenders. Like, I mean, I know he's a great defender. Like, I just don't, I, I just don't have the, the knowledge to say, like, who is the Defensive Player of the Year in the Valley. I think Brody has a really good case for it, too, with the way he walls up centers. And I think he slowed down Crutwig whenever he was in the game. But man, like Lucas's ability on the defensive end is special. And again, I think it speaks to, and you could try to tie everyone, everyone wants to tie everything back to Loyola culture, but like this guy's a senior who's averaging eight points a game or whatever he's averaging. I think it's eight points a game and he does not care. Like he is fully in on defending, you know, a, a, being an elite defender on the perimeter and to have two guys, him and Uguak, who can lock you down and just take you out of a ball game it absolutely changes the trajectory of, of, of how a team runs offense. And Drake was so lost in the second half on offense because of Lucas Williamson in particular and his ability on the perimeter to, to wall you up. So he, he was awesome and it deserves all the love. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't hundred percent dive into it because I, 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 I have to think harder, but he is a heck of a defender. It'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to find someone who is better on the defense than Lucas. Well, and we are we are honored to get a comment here from Porter's Jacket saying a top contender for Defensive Player of the Year may be here Uguak. Not many lockdown guards currently. Yeah, Loyola has not one, but two serious contenders for Defensive Player of the Year. And I wrote about this in my post for my blog at Off the Inbound. The defensive foundation was set by Brian Mullins, who's now at Southern Illinois. I was worried about the defense when Brian left to take that job. They've gotten better, and now you have... 
two really strong DPOY candidates. It's crazy to me. It's it is it is crazy, and I think you know I I think first off it it, it speaks to like the connection on the staff uh, and, and their ability to learn from each other. I think I was talking to Jermaine Kimbrough on a show like this a couple weeks ago, and he said like I've gotten a PhD in basketball in, in the two years I've been here, and I've been coaching for twenty years, and I think. That is something that, that, that this staff, is, they've grown off of each other. You know, Mullins is an incredible defensive mind. I think everyone inside the program has learned a lot about defense from him. Uh, and I'm sure he's sitting back now at SIU, not, not, not looking forward to having a game plan against this defense because of how good he left, that, left them in this place. And now they're you know, continuing to improve. I think you know, the, the big thing that has really changed for me is turnovers, like their ability to, to turn you over and disrupt you beyond just like, being in the gaps and making it hard for you to to get anything comfortable, I think that just makes it even more difficult to beat beat them. And, and Drake did a good job, particularly in the first half, uh, of taking care of the basketball. I think it got away from them a little bit uh, in in the second. Yeah, I mean they had they only had the eight turnovers. I think you probably live with that, but you know it's just a disruptive disruptive style of defense and. You, you, you hear a lot about a, a team that forces turnovers is, oh, oh you got to press, you got to press. You got to do what Drake was doing in the first five minutes, like coming out, double team in the corners, traps, et cetera. Loyola doesn't need that to turn you over and doesn't need that to disrupt you. And I think that is a hallmark of a really good, you know, gap discipline defense. Keep sending us those comments on the Periscope. Again, if you're just joining us, final score, number 22, Loyola Chicago, 81, Drake, 54 in Des Moines. And we're joined today by Kevin Sweeney of CBB Central. You brought up Drake's turnovers. I want to throw this out there. This hasn't, I didn't really realize this until I looked at the stat page just now. Drake had eight turnovers all game. Loyola had eight turnovers in the first half, and they won this game by 27 points. That is absolutely insane to me. Yeah, it, it, it is wild. And I think, you know, part of it is that Drake. I think Drake did a really good job in the first half of making Loyola uncomfortable. Um, this was something, and I tweeted about this during the game, like the press was brilliant by DeVries and because it brought his own team energy uh, and, 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 and that combined with the ball denials that they were doing off of the dribble handoffs from Crutwig. I think they did a really good job of making Loyola just never really settle in offensively. And then in the second half, Loyola came out and was so much more prepared for it. And, once they got comfortable, you were just knock, knock, knocking them off their spot. Loyola made five threes in this game. Like, Loyola, like they, they, they turned it over in the first half and they only made five threes, and they still put up 80 points on this Drake team. And part of it was defense into offense, I think, without a doubt. I know it wasn't you know turnover points, but I think they got a lot of easier looks once Drake was missing shots. And I think the other thing is that Drake wore down and couldn't keep Loyola um, in a position where – you know, they were uncomfortable on the offensive end. And they were able to get into their stuff. Crutwig was able to start, you know, picking you apart from the elbows and, and the foul line. And the shooting started to help because of the gravity that it created. You know, again, only made five threes. But, you know, everyone had to close the perimeter. And then you were able to attack closeouts and do things of that nature. So it was a really, really impressive offensive display. And, and Loyola's Ken Palm offensive numbers will, will definitely jump after this one, shooting 64% from the field in the game. I got to see what they shot in the second half. They shot 70% from the field in the second half. Is that good? I think that's pretty good. It's pretty good. You know, and I hate to keep making the comparisons to 2018, but it's so easy to see the comparisons here because Loyola in 2018 
was also a second half team. I remember they used to do the same thing. They'd either be down in the first half or they'd be close in the first half. And then they'd just put the foot to the floor in the second half and wipe you out. And that's what happened today. I brought up the eight turnovers in the first half. Loyola also had three assists in the first half. In the second half, three turnovers and 11 assists. They just turned it on in the second half. And that's just another parallel that they can just come back out of halftime. And I, I think Porter Moser is the king of halftime adjustments, don't you think? He does an unbelievable job. Um, and I think, you know, part of having a veteran team is having the ability to not panic in a game like that, right? Like Loyola came in confident that they were going to win that game. And they got they, they took the first punch for front from Drake. Drake came out energized. They were the more physical team in the first half, and they were making tough shots. And I think Porter was able to go in the locker room and, and and not have guys panic, not have guys trying to make you know a hero hero ball play to swing the swing the tide. And instead, it was like, all right, we've been here, we know what we're doing. We've you know we've got all these you know veteran guys who've been in big games like this, games to win Missouri Valley championships, games in conference tournaments, and we're going to you know be cool, calm, collected. We're going to run our stuff. We know what we do. And we're going to throw the first punch out of halftime. That's exactly what they did. And another note today, uh, Shaquan Hemphill is out for four weeks for Drake with a broken foot. That was huge today going in. That's Drake's leading scorer. So that meant Drake had to rely on Darnell Brody to guard Cameron Crutwig. He fouled out. He had three fouls in the first half. And I feel like we were talking about this a little bit before we went live. When he got that fourth foul, that was when I knew, okay, this this is over. Like Loyola is going to just roll. They're going to roll to a win here. And I think if Brody can stay out of foul trouble, like in tomorrow's game in game two, maybe it'll be a little bit closer. Hemphill is Drake's best scorer. Penn is Drake's best player. Brody might be their most important player with his ability. Again, I, I mentioned the defensive, you know, ability. He's not a huge shot blocker, but he impacts the game on the defensive end because he's so strong. Like, you don't see big guys who have such strong bases as he does, and it makes it hard. There was a shot, I think it was in the first half, when Crutwig um, airballed the hook shot, like missed yes. it by far, and you never see that. And it was because Darnell Brody did not give an inch. Like, Crutwig was not able to lean on him and, get, and, and, and kind of push it over. You don't get anywhere on the guy. It's like running into a wall. Uh, and, and so I think you know, that, in, that in particular really, really hurt them in this game. He's also a great rebounder, and I think once he once he left the floor, Loyola was able to get some second chance opportunities for backbreakers as, as Drake's trying to hang in through this run. But yeah, he, he's super valuable, and, and Samaka was not was not equipped to to handle him down low. There's there's really no answers. I mean, you could you could play smaller with Hemphill normally, but can you now when you don't have have those guys? You can't you know. Could you play Shramel Murphy at the five? You'd think maybe, but then who, who who's rounding out the other four spots? Like, are you going to play like, like Penn, Yesifu, Wilkins, and Jackson or Sturts? But that's really small. Like, it, it, you just run out of options a lot quicker. And so I think I think the Brody foul trouble was, was definitely a massive factor in this game. If they can keep him on the floor, well, a better chance tomorrow. I still think Loyola definitely has a gear that Drake doesn't have. But on the road, it's it's never easy, so. Well, and that brings up a ne my next question then. Tank Hemphill is essentially out for the year. He might come back at Arch Madness. How much of a leap forward in terms of foul trouble does Darnell Brody have to take? Because it seems like when I watch games, he gets into foul trouble pretty easily. And I feel like if Drake wants to be 
still in the top two of the Valley, he's got to cut back on the fouls and be more disciplined. Yeah, I think, I mean, and, and you look back in the first half, he got two fouls in the first eight minutes. I think first off, DeVries should have taken him out at the first media, tried to get get a couple of minutes from Samaka and and, and and fight through and get get more more run from Brody. But his two fouls in the first half, Darnell Brody's were uh, an over the back on a rebound, 90 feet from your own bat, from, from, from the basket you're defending on. And a, I think an offensive foul or a bump like 40 feet from the rim when they were press during the press. Like you, you cannot have your post defender getting two fouls like that. It disrupts your entire game plan. So yeah, he needs to be more disciplined. I think part of it is just, you know, he's a junior. He has not played a lot of college basketball. He played 13 games at Seton Hall. uh, I think at a grand total of like, 75 minutes in two years. I mean, he was not the, not a factor, which is hard to believe given how good you know he has been for for Drake. But yeah, look, he he's got to stay out of foul trouble. And I think I think Drake will be fine. Like especially in the first half, I thought they looked really good. But that road Bradley series started to look large because I know you know people are already talking. Okay, can we figure out a way that we split? You know, they split these two, and then Drake gets one one over Loyola and gets him that large, but. It's going to be hard if it looks anything like the second half for, for them to split this series. And so you start to start to sit there and say, okay, you know, can, can, can they find a way to sweep Bradley? And if they can't sweep Bradley is the at large hunt over. And uh, unfortunately it, it feels like it might trend that way pretty quickly for the Bulldogs. One note here. I do want to respond to a comment from my guy Reese. Is there any official word on fans at Arch Madness? I may have missed it. If it has been said they're, planning on fans at Arch Madness. They're selling tickets and I wish I could get my hands on one. I do. I'm getting my second COVID vaccine that Friday of Arch Madness. So I'm not going to St. Louis. So I'm going to be covering from home probably with a lot of these, but there will, I believe there will be fans is what I read from the Valley. But speaking of the two bid Valley, let's bring up this comment. Now that I know I can do this from Jonah Blatt on Twitter. I feel like Loyola might've punched their tourney ticket today. Here's the question. And I've been very skeptical on this every time it comes up. Two bid valley? I think no. But what do you think? I, I think it's trending in a poor direction for Drake just because of I mean, I think Loyola's in at this point. I'm I'm pretty confident that even if they lost in the conference tournament, they would get in. Like it's just gonna be so hard for the committee to justify because at this point, again, unless Loyola loses a game to SIU next week or two weeks from now, whenever it is it's going to be really hard to knock this team out of the top 25 in the net. And if Loyola stays in the top 25 of the net and you don't put them in the NCAA tournament, I think that should be like a national scandal. Like it, 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 just, it shouldn't be allowed. Right. And so, yeah, it's not a normal year. They haven't had the, the normal, you know, big wins you want in the non-conference, but I think Loyola is really close. having punched the ticket. I just think at this point, it's trending in a really poor direction for Drake to get one. Again, Arch Madness has been so unpredictable, and you know this better than anyone, Nick. Like, you know, last you know last year, Northern Iowa loses to Drake in the first round. Loyola loses to Valpo, and you know, none of those felt possible. I mean, it felt a lot more possible than it does this year. I think the separation is definitely greater this year than it's been in previous years. But you, know, you never know what could happen in a one-game situation. But I would I would be pretty surprised if anyone other than Loyola is in at-large territory by the time we get to Selection Sunday. The question is is can someone pick off the Ramblers and steal a second bid for the Valley? You know, I brought this up on one of these with my friend Harry Schrader at the Valley Hoops Insider. We talked about this the other day. My prediction for a two-bid league is 
one of these teams has to sweep this weekend. So basically right now, Loyola has to win tomorrow, win out in the regular season, make the championship game at Arch Madness, and lose to Drake in the championship game of Arch Madness for it to, to, to be a two-bid league. Do you agree? I think Loyola has a little bit more flexibility, especially if they win tomorrow. Um, if Loyola wins this game tomorrow, I think they're going to be in really good position to the point where they could probably lose to anyone in the Valley one more time. They could probably lose one more game and not be sweating too much. I mean, obviously you're going to sweat because, you know, it's the mid-major in the committee's eyes. You never know. But I, I, I don't think – I mean, and look, they just updated Ken Palm. Loyola's up to 11 in Ken Palm. They'll probably Here be 10th in the net. I mean – Tomorrow, they're, they're still only favored by six tomorrow against Drake. If they win by 20 again, it just seems at least feasible. They're going to be a top 10 Ken Palm team. Where like, were they in Ken Palm to start today? 15 at the, in the morning, uh, 13th in net. So up to 11 in Ken Palm, I guess, is top 10 net. All right. But the metrics love, net, the like, metrics love Drake, this team. <laughs> yes. And the net loved Drake a lot more than it liked than Ken Palm did. The net still had Drake at like 30, yes. and it had Drake at like 57 in Ken Palm, I think. See, this is where we get into the fun of it. Like, what does the net say? What does Ken Palm say? They're drastically different. Like, one has Drake way up here. The other has him down here. But they both seem to have Loyola really high up there, which I think is a good sign, hopefully going forward toward Selection Sunday, because I, I've tweeted this. I've said this. I can't help but think back to a certain Sunday in 2017 when I thought my parents' alma mater, Illinois State, was going to go to March Madness. And instead, they were a number one seed at the NIT. I can't get that out of my head when it comes time to talk about a two-bid valley, especially without Wichita State and without Creighton. I'm super skeptical about it. I get it. But I also think when you look at the metrics, this Loyola team compares a lot more to the Northern Iowa team with Seth Tuttle that got a five seed than it does to the uh, Northern I the, the, the uh, uh, Illinois State team that, that got bounced and was right on the bubble. Like. At some point, like if we care at all, if, if, if the committee actually cares at all about the metrics, right? Like the net, the, they made the net to mirror Ken Palm. The net's completely designed to look as much like Ken Palm as possible in terms of the rankings. It, it was meant to zag from the RPI and, and look completely, you know, and in my opinion, personally, they should have just said, we're going to use Ken Palm because it's good. Like, why are we messing around? But because it's you know, the NCAA. It, right. They had to make their own thing. They had to pay Google to make it. They paid Google to make the net, and it looks like Ken Palm. So if, if you're going to have pretty much, you know, perfect confluence or conciliance, you know, whatever the word is, I'm, you know, not, not an English major, you know, of, of all these metrics that say Loyola's top 25 team, Loyola's a top 25 team, and you don't put them in because they lose one game at Arch Madness, I mean, come on. Like, like at, that, at that point, we start, you really start to wonder. So you know, it'll be it'll be interesting. I've had Loyola in like it's an eight seed or so in my recent bracketologies. I think after today and potentially tomorrow, they'll jump up even more to you know six or seven line. Yeah, up to a five potentially. Yeah, it's a little. That's probably yeah. hard. I wish they had a non-con win that mattered, but like that yeah. Richmond win would have been really really nice to have. Or yes, you know, coming certainly. up with a big win at Wisconsin would have been really really nice. But that, that's for my guy Reese Johnson, the weatherman. And yeah, I know Mike Watson commented it too. Is this team better than the final four team? I think we're in consensus. So now it's just a matter of, can they get back to the big dance? Can they replicate that magic? We'll see. I Hopefully Sister Jean can come out with them. Cause I know she's been in like, I believe the exact phrasing I heard was double, triple lockdown for Sister yeah. Jean. She, last I heard she was living in her apartment full time. And that was back in April. I can't imagine now 
But prediction for game two between Loyola and Drake, what do you got? I mean, it's wacky results. I know the, the example I always like to throw around, uh, Wright State has played three different series this year where they lost one game and won the other by 30-plus points. So, again, it can happen, but Loyola outclassed Drake in the second half, and I would be pretty uncomfortable for picking against them here. Will they win by 20 again? No, because I think Drake is too prideful. I think they'll come out fighting, and they'll probably hit some threes. You know, they, they, just, they, they never had a run stopper uh, in the second half. When Loyola was punching and punching, you know, there, there was never a big pen three, a big – there was a play even – I think it might have been a 14 or 15 point game, might have been up to 20 even at this point, where Yesifu got in the passing lane and knocked it out, and Crockwick nearly got called for a backcourt. And the game was probably close to close to sealed by at that at that point. But that's the type of play you needed. And and Yesifu could have that steal, run it down, get a layup. Okay, maybe you know you get one more bucket. They call a timeout. You're 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 feeling yourself a little bit. They never had that. And and I think they will come out energized, ready to go tomorrow. And look, I mean. Loyola got Loyola heard all the press clippings all week about how good they were, and they came out and they proved it today. Do you come with the same focus on you know tomorrow? And I, I think they will because they're a really well coached group. But it's impossible not to have that happen at times, right? It's impossible not to hear how great you are all the time, and they're going to hear a lot of love today and tomorrow. And you know, how do you wake up for a midweek game against Valpo after that? I'll t- I'll say that you know it's going to be tough. Well, and that's where I think Porter has them so disciplined where, like, don't listen to that stuff. They tune out the noise, blah, blah, blah. We heard all of that. Trust me, that was the buzzword every day in 2018 was tune out the noise, block out the noise. We got a game to play. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I know it's better. It's easier said than done. But I think that's what's going to happen at least tomorrow. We'll see what happens on Wednesday. Shout out to Jonah Blatt for the Animal House reference, Sister Jean, and double secret probation. I'm really glad somebody picked up on that. She is on double, triple lockdown, not double secret probation. We have been talking with Kevin Sweeney of CBB Central. Follow him on Twitter at CBB underscore Central. Kevin, this was a blast, man. We've got to do this more often. This is great. Hey, well, whatever you want me, Nick. Always happy to chat. I miss our, you know. Media room chats with a sprite in hand, ready to walk out to the, uh, the arena. So, man, it's been fun, and you know, this is a it's a fun rambler team to, to watch. I'm glad that I was, you know, part of the Final Four team in any tiny, tiny way, and you know, get to be a part of following this team from a bit of a bit, a bit of a distance here this year. But it's been it's been it's been a thrill. So, whenever you want me, I'm back, and we'll, uh, we'll chat about the Ramblers and the Valley. So. Yeah, I mean, it's the Valley. Anything can happen. Thanks again, Kevin. We'll talk soon.